Today, we're going to reveal or let God reveal to us the ease in which we quickly put our source and purpose or fulfillment in anything. Just fill in the blank. It can be anything. Um, even while putting this uh, sermon together, I was concerned, uh, really concerned with how I was going to be viewed, uh, how the message was going to be delivered, and all of those type of things um, that was uh, really going to give me fulfillment. You know, like if somebody came to me and said, hey, hey, great job, um, that's where I was going to find my purpose. And basically, I was inserting myself in the place where God's going to work. And that's, that's really not my, my place. In essence, I was attempting to worship approval instead of God. So what is worship? might be critical here to understand what that is. And simply phrased, uh, the, the, all of the dictionary definitions put together can be summarized as the highest love and adoration that we experience and express towards someone or something giving the highest praise and priority or reverence to. So what does that actually mean? Let's put this in a way that might be uh, might, might clarify this for some of you. Um, what if I were to say, I am so thankful for my parents and the way they raised me. It's because of them that I am the man I am today. They are my everything. That sounds really beautiful reverence to my parents and how they raised me and all those things. But I would argue that's idol worship. And it's, it's really sneaky and sly, but it's, it's there. And let me explain a little bit. This is a theft of the glory that belongs to the glory of God alone. So how about instead, you know, I would say, I thank God for blessing me with the parents that I have today. They are a huge part of the person that I am, thanks to the guiding of the Lord. This places the reverence back to God while also accomplishing what the first idolatrous statement was attempting to do. And this is what we're going to be talking about today, the types of idols and how we battle them. Really, it's about the problem, and the solution. It's what we're going to focus on today. And none of us are exempt from it. There's a, a couple of secular groups that I attend. Uh, many of you may know that uh, I have former battle with drugs and alcohol, and, and uh, the Lord's delivered me from those things. And I go to these secular groups, and folks introduce themselves. I am... Matthew Ott, and I am an alcoholic. And there's, there's a little bit of truth in there, right? But that's not who I am at all. That's, that's my sin. And I'm not going to identify with my sin. At the core of things, my name is Matthew Ott, and I'm a child of God. Amen. Our identity is not in our sin. How would it sound to say, I am Matthew Ott and I'm an idolater? It's not what we're, that's not what God's calling us to do. Today we're going to focus on a single verse 
as the, the core of, of this message. And it is from Exodus 20, verse 3. And it says, You shall have no other gods before me. This is the greatest commandment. Well, how do we know this? In the book of Mark, um, the, the scribes are they're debating between one another. And one of them comes up to Jesus to test him again. And he says, you know, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says in the New Testament, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he goes on to say that the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I've said this before that our relationship should be from us to God first and from us to other people second. And it's neat that this forms the symbol of the cross to help us remind us that we are third. God first, people second, us third if we want to put ourselves that high. <laughs> so what is an idol? Uh, I had to go through and, and think about this from different angles and, and different things. And, um, and, and simply put, it's, it's, uh, it's a God that we worship. A lowercase g that we worship is an idol. It's uh, submitting to the authority of, bowing down to, giving praise to. Um, it's the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were or they were God. My wife uh, <clears throat> was guided by the Lord to direct her, her uh, sight at uh, her nightstand, and she came across uh, her late father's uh, Bibles that he used in his messages. And uh, one of them was a concordance uh, that <clears throat> was just absolutely amazing, you know, and I'm like, oh, let's check this out, you know. So I go to the back of the Bible and I'm looking in uh, for idolatry and the verses that are related to that, you know, and, the, and uh, so I go to, go to um, Psalm, I'm led to Psalm, was it Psalm 96, 5? That's the first one listed there. And it, and it says, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And <clears throat> so the, in terms of like the way that idols is used here, in the original Hebrew text, uh, they give a description of uh, the Hebrew word here. And we don't speak Hebrew, so we're not going to dwell on that. But the, the word that they use for idol means this, and this is beautiful. The definition of the Hebrew word is nothings, vanities, emptiness, things of naught. And I like the second praise uh, praise song, that nothing is better than you. <laughs> it just made me think of this. And I think that it's wonderful. You know, like anything that we put uh, faith in over God is nothing. The end. It's the created thing. And the commenter goes, uh, commentator goes on to say, Regrettably, the far greater majority of the world serves these nothings instead of the Lord God who created all things. So what do we worship? So here, here it is. Here's the problem. Here's what we all worship. I'm, we're all guilty of this. Uh, and I think that if you were to say, I don't worship idols, that in fact, 
that's idol worship in itself. It's also almost an oxymoron there. Um, let's start in Genesis. Uh, let's start with uh, Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They're walking with God. They are just created. Um, God's teaching them all things, walking with them. And he gives them one, one rule. And he says, hey, check this out, guys. And I'm paraphrasing really heavily. <laughs> if you can't tell. Check this out. Uh, this tree over here, uh-uh. it's not for you. Please don't touch that. Um, don't touch that. Can't touch that. And uh, and it's it's desirable. And 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 Satan comes along and and he's like, hey, oh, that tree is. You know, the reason God doesn't want you to be part of that tree and have any of that is because He knows that if you do that, then you'll be just like Him, and then He'll no longer have His place as God. And so Satan's tempting Eve and says that, hey, you're going to get this wisdom. And Eve's like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds great. And so she takes from the tree and she eats the fruit. She gives it to Adam and says, hey, man, this is great. Check this out. You know, and they both do it. And immediately they recognize that they're naked in front of the Lord and they go and they, and they hide. And what they're worshiping here is wisdom. They're worshiping wisdom. They want, they're desiring to know what God knows. And have you ever heard the statement, uh, the devil made me do it? Well, that might be fun to say, and it really takes away from the responsibility that we all have. The devil did not take that fruit off the tree, shove it in Eve's mouth, move her jaw up and down, and then force feed it down her throat. He just suggested that it was a good idea. It was because of Eve's actions that the fall of man occurred. And this is, this is why the wrath of God is on us. This is the fall of man. The great news is the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ has provided a way out that God looks down on, on him and, and pardons us. Uh, that's that's the, the, the great message of, of the gospel is that we are redeemed uh, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a worship of self. I think that and feel that all idol worship uh, can be traced back to worshiping yourself. You know, what am I going to get? What about, uh, and I'm going to go through a, 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 quite a few of these examples just to illustrate how easy these idols uh, seep into our lives. And uh, hang, hang in there. You know, you, hopefully you're convicted. I was convicted going through these things. But the great news is, is um, I'm building up to, a, to, the, to the solution, right? This problem that I'm going through here isn't how you should identify but it should convict you in a way that, thank you, God, for giving me a way out. Jesus speaks about money in about 11 out of 39 of his parables. There are over 2,300 verses in the Bible relating to money. In Matthew, Jesus says, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many of you all like Chris Jansen? He's a pretty popular country music singer. singer. I saw him in concert. And he's, he's got a, a song, I think it's called Camel Through the Eye of a Needle, maybe? I don't know. I'm not a country music fan, but I, I enjoyed the concert. 
And he says, he says that you can't pass a camel through an eye of a needle. And while that may be true, and money is the root of all evil, it still sounds pretty cool. And I have that mixed up. Like I said, I just know about this song. I'm not a huge fan. But it's, it's interesting, um, and it's catchy, right? And it, and it does sound cool. But it's this love of the world that he's, he's illustrating in this song. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, money's great. And money in itself probably isn't an idol, but the love of it certainly is. We live in a consumer world where we buy and get and throw away things that are temporary every day. As this, this country produces more trash than any other country in, on the planet because we throw stuff away all the time. And what about, uh, what about, what about the prosperity gospel? I didn't even know what this was, but it, I was looking into these things, and many of you, excuse me, probably know who Joel Olstein is. He is uh, he's worth over fifty million dollars, um, and he preaches the prosperity gospel. He's one of the, probably the most famous, tons of books, and he's and basically he's saying with this prosperity gospel is that if I do this for God, then I can get this. And that's a perversion of what the gospel is actually teaching. Um, it's a false gospel. There's a, a professor of Christian ethics named David W. Jones. This quote won't be up here, but I'm going to read it to you. And he says this about the prosperity gospel. He says, in light of scripture, the prosperity gospel is fundamentally flawed. At bottom, it is a false gospel because of its faulty view of the relationship between God and man. Simply put, if the prosperity gospel is true, grace is obsolete. God is irrelevant, and man is the measure of all things. Whether they're talking about the Abrahamic covenant, the atonement, which there is Jesus, blood in our place, giving, faith, or prayer, prosperity teachers turn the relationship between God and man into a quid pro quo transaction. If I do this, then I get this. They're saying that 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 Jesus Jesus sacrifice extends to the sin of material poverty. It's absolutely not what the gospel teaches. There'll be more on that to come, but can I say can we say worshiping of self? What can I get? What can I get? You know, if I'm going to do this for God, what's in it for me? There's that worshiping of self all over again. That church brings in $43 million every year in collections to line the pockets. We worship, uh, we worship work. How many times, uh, how many times do you ask, what do you do for a living? As if your identity is in what you do. <laughs> Prestige, time, time, we wear it on our wrists, it's on the wall, it's in our cars. Well, I don't worship time. I don't look at time as being more than God. 
I can tell you that I don't know how many times, no pun intended, where I've said, I don't have the time to devote to God with my family today because I have these other things to do. So I'm prioritizing time over God. That's idol worship, my friends. How about accomplishments? Relationships? How about wanting to be in a relationship even though you're not equally yoked with that person as God, God's word teaches because of fear of being alone? So you're worshiping the relationship over what God's word's saying. Do we worship our children? How about places? Lot's wife, they're walking away from Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, where they're being delivered from utter destruction. And she turns around to look at what they're leaving, turned into a pillar of salt. God's delivering us from something, from idol worship, whether it's any of these things or others. How about sports? Have you ever heard ball is life? (laughs) I've seen a bunch of shirts saying that. Pride, I'm guilty of that. My pride's hurt. I lash out in ways that are not godly. I'm not worshiping God. I'm not thanking God for this lesson. Comfort. I worship comfort within my family. I wonder how many of us all do this where we're called to be fruit inspectors. We're not called to judge people, but we are definitely called to be fruit inspectors. And someone in our family that proclaims to be a Christian isn't walking in, in a way that resembles the, the teaching of Jesus Christ. And we want to call them out and say, hey, you know, have you thought about these things that aren't lining up with what the gospel's teaching? Um, but instead of doing that, we're worshiping the comfort because we have to live with this person, right? And we don't want to cause conflict there because... There's definitely conflict there. Uh, here's that material things. In Matthew 19, 21, uh, this gentleman comes to Jesus and he's asking how he may inherit the kingdom of God. How, how can I inherit the kingdom of God? And uh, Jesus goes through this laundry list of things of the law that he's supposed to you know, hold true to. And the guy's like, well, I've kept all those from my youth. And Jesus says, hey, that's great. Awesome. Uh, The only thing left to do is, you know, go hawk all your stuff, um, give to the poor, and come follow me. And this, this, and he says, Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess to give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This world is passing away. These things on this planet are temporary. We are called to focus on what's eternal, not what's temporary. Here's my two favorite ones. You've heard it before. Drugs and alcohol. These are my two favorite gods, by far. I'm willing to sin to get them, or I was. Thank God for Jesus. He's delivered me from that. Like literally delivered me from that. When I think about those things, like it disgusts me. So I looked forward to sinning to get them. Uh, I needed to pray to God 
Lord, please remove my desire to want to sin against you. Not just not to sin, but to want to sin. You know, like it was this twofold thing. Like, hey, I first got to stop wanting to do this, and then I got to stop doing this. God's used that. He's used that in this church. There's a, there's a ministry planted here that God's planted here. It's called Next Steps. I've been blessed with being able to uh, lead this ministry. And it deals uh, with the heart condition of idolatry. The Bible calls addiction and, and alcoholism, we call those two things drunkenness and idolatry. We meet on Wednesday nights uh, from 6 to 8. Uh, we meet starting this year, starting September 13th until May. Um, and this is not just for drugs and alcohol, my friends. Uh, it's about a heart condition. It's about being in a class of transformation, a change of heart. It is uh, being about led to the solution. Have you ever worshipped a church service? I'm guilty of this. I used to go to a church because of the praise team. I used to go, listen to the music, and leave. And it was because of what I was get, getting there. The rock star preachers, rock star praise team, kids programs. Um, I wonder how many times us as Christians have gone the way of abomination in the modern church to worship the service rather than worship our Lord Jesus Christ for his propitiation of our sins, the shedding of blood, and the message that we all may come to the cross, and this is the only thing worth, worthy of our worship. If the message of the cross isn't enough to feed your desire to attend church, then perhaps you should take that to the Lord and remember why we are here today. This church is a place for you to bring your spiritual gifts and give something to the church. It's not about what we get it's about what we can give. This list goes on and on. I had a, an idea when I was putting together this sermon. I was, I was going to put together like this huge, like if you can imagine like a Santa scroll and like, you know, and I unrolled it and it rolled way across there. And it's like this huge list of idols. Um, it sounds good, but it's probably just as cool to explain it like Santa's naughty list, if you will. So an idol is anything that we desire or covet before God. Ask yourself, am I willing to sin to get this? When faced with the choice of what we're going to desire or covet, in my life it's been important to say, Lord, does this decision to pursue fill in the blank bring me closer to you or further from you. And the Lord's going to help. The Lord's going to show you what that is. And if, and if we were to strip away everything that is human in us and fleshly in us and focus on what God's word says about this desire, 
it will be revealed to us in the truth every way through God's word. Idol worship and sin are a bit different. Worshiping idols causes us to sin. As sinners, we are attempting to steal the glory from God for ourselves. Kyle Eilman, a senior pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Kentucky, says this about idolatry. He says, Idolatry isn't just one of many sins. Rather, it's the one great sin that all others come from. So if you start scratching at whatever struggle you're dealing with, eventually you'll find out that underneath it is a, is a false god. Until that god is dethroned and the Lord God takes his rightful place, you will not have victory. It's a hard conditions, my friends. Nothing less than this. Some horrible, horrible advice that I've given and received. Follow your heart. <laughs> horrible advice. There's more on that to come. Just hang in there. Unless, of course, your heart uh, has been replaced by the heart of God. So our will replaced with the will of God. And even then, even then, the Holy Spirit must be heeded. That still small voice must be heeded for our lives to be in line with God's will. In Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Again, this problem is that we have a heart condition that only God can heal. We need the helper and the healer. You can pray through the scripture. The book of Psalms is, is awesome for this. There's power in praying through the scripture. It connects us with people from thousands of years ago that have the same issues then as we have today. And it all boils down to a heart condition that only Jesus Christ is going to heal in us. Psalm, Psalm 139, 23 through 24, I, I absolutely love this. I pray this often. And it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's so wonderful. That's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. I love that. I pray that often. And the psalmist is basically crying out to God, as if perhaps yelling at the top of his lungs for a plea for help for his heart condition and that he knows that only God can heal. The great news is, is that we have this power living inside of us already through our submission to our Lord Jesus Christ as being the obedience to God's, the Father's authority. All right, here's the good part. The best part here is there's a solution. So, right. How do we battle these idols? Well, let's start by worshiping God, big case G. And why do we worship God? Well, we're, we've been created. We're loved. We're saved. We're helped. We're given life. We are not alone. That's one of my favorites. We are fellow heirs. We are beautifully and wonderfully made. 
We are children. We are God's portion. We have been given free will. Everything we enjoy, feel, decide, and experience are all from Him. And most importantly, He has given all, all to Him I owe. Jesus has redeemed us. Christ is victorious. What's that mean? What's that mean that Christ is victorious? Well, for us, if we were going to say, and dare I say, what do we get? We have been given a new heart and mind. The flesh only has the power today in Christ Jesus that we give it, that we allow the flesh to have. Christ has overcome those things. Romans 8, 9 illustrates this idea so beautifully. And it says, 8, 9 through 11, pardon me. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, the spirit is life because of a righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the truth. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are a big part of God's kingdom because we are a temple of the Lord and we are to expand God's kingdom by proclaiming this message of good news to all those unreached people groups through the ends of the world. 1 Corinthians goes on to say, 2.16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean? Well, that means that we have a helper. God has entered our hearts for this transformation. Heart condition is our problem. Transformation through the power of Christ dwelling in our hearts is the solution. It doesn't just stop there. It's this, this, uh, this corporate meeting of believers here at this church. It's the discipling of another person, meeting with them. New Christians, baby Christians, meeting with seasoned Christians, spending time building each other up in our faith. We have a helper. I already talked about next steps. Wonderful ministry here. Uh, really looking forward to kicking that off. Um, again, it's on Wednesday nights. There will be more to come on that. And what is taught about this battle? Well, in essence, it, it is really about the putting off of the old man, the renewing in the spirit of the mind, and putting on of the new man. That's that transformation. It's about Christ's sacrifice. And this Holy Spirit is what transforms us in our hearts. The trick is that we have to listen. Galatians 2.20 illustrates this really well, I think. And it reads, 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Spirit enables, enables us to overcome our idol worship. There is power in his word. This is how we battle the enemies with his word. This is how we battle the flesh. Well, I don't know his word. It takes time. That thing that you might be worshiping. Perhaps it's time to give some of that back to the Lord. And worship him instead. He's the deliverer. He will deliver us. We only need to be willing. Well, how do I know that the word of God is going to lead me in the right way? Well, it's inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16, this next steps, ministry, is focused on, on this model. And this is the New Living Translation. So if you're looking in the ESV, it's not going to match what's on the screen. But this kind of makes it a little bit more clear on what's actually being said. And I'll even uh, paraphrase further. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. What's that, what's that actually saying? It's saying how to think right, how not to think wrong, how not to act wrong, and how to act right. This is where all power comes from, is from the Word of God. All of it. That's how, that, that is the sword. That is how we slay the enemy. Where's the power that you draw from? Is it people? Is it places? Is it things? Is it a group? If you are granting power to anything that is of the creation, couldn't you also revoke it? And if you're able to grant power and you're able to revoke power, aren't you saying I am God? That's definitely not a place that I want to be in. We are not to worship the creation. We are to worship the creator. Romans 1, 24 through 25. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped the creature or the creation and served the creature of the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Hidden in this, or maybe clear in this for some, Depends on how the Holy Spirit's working in your heart. God's going to reveal to you today what he needs you to know at this time by the working of the Holy Spirit, as long as you're willing to listen. In fact, 
this gift of free will, this gift to choose, God allows you to choose an idol. And he'll give you up to your idol if that's what you choose to do. We must choose to listen to that still small voice. That's hard to do. I'm not saying that this is easy. If it were easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> Everyone's invited. Many times in, in, in my life at home, I'm worshiping what I can get, the time that I have, how I should be treated, all of these things before I'm having a heart of servitude to my family and leadership. Love of the world is enmity with God. John Wesley, a clergyman from the 1700s, um, <clears throat> he has a wonderful quote. And he says this about the Spirit. It is the Spirit that sheds the love of God abroad in their hearts and the love of all mankind, thereby, thereby purifying their hearts from the love of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. It is by him they are delivered from anger and pride, from all vile and inordinate affections. These sin can be traced back to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And what's, what's that actually saying? That's saying that I can feel any way I want, I can have any way I, anything I want, and I can be anything I want. Now, the moment we've all been waiting for, closing. Probably run that joke all the way out now. <laughs> the only way that we are able to walk in perpetual victory is to understand that everything that we receive from God comes to us by means of the cross. The cross must always be the object of our faith. Since this is the case, the Holy Spirit, who works exclusively within the confines of the sacrifice of Christ, will exert his mighty power on our, half, or on our behalf, which will enable us to live a holy life. Christ went away so the Holy Spirit could come and live in, in us. Living a holy life, this progressive sanctification, is allowing the Holy Spirit to move us in a way that helps us become more like Christ each and every day, preparing us for one day meeting him. The helper or the comforter, that's what they call the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is called. There's a, another word that's not our language that we use, so we won't talk about what that is, but the Greek word used here for comforter is one called to the side of another to help. The Holy Spirit was called into our hearts, into a new dimension, by the way of the completed work of Christ on the cross. That's what our faith in Jesus 
allows us, allows us the power to live inside of us. We are fellow heirs in Christ, in Christ alone. That is the only way. This helper is our discernment, our conviction. If you've been convicted today, that's the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. So praise God. I know I was convicted putting this together. That conviction is really the revelation of how much I actually need Jesus. And if I'm not preaching the message of the cross to myself at some point every day, at some point I'm going to start worshiping myself and saying that I don't need it. That couldn't be further from the truth, but my flesh will tell me that that's true. And other people or the enemy, or other fleshly individuals? I say, yeah, you're right. It's also how the Word is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. That's how the Word of God is revealed to us. As the Father sees fit for our lives at that time, according to His will for us as believers. As we're reading the Word of God, I've read the same same books several different times, and and I I would bet everything under the sun that that was a new piece of scripture in there. But that wasn't in there the first time that I read it. I know it. You know, God's changing this as you know, you know, like that's that's how my mind works. But the, that's that's why they call this the Living Word because as we read through it. There's a new revelation all the time. More will be revealed. And that's, that's as we need it, as we grow closer to Christ each day. And I will close. And this is the, the last line in the letter, 1 John. And he closes this letter and says, Little children... That's us. Keep yourself from idols. Mm 